We're coming to the end of the Green Sundays, and true to, to the Green Sundays form, they keep raising issues of uh, the nature of Christian discipleship. The gospel for today, I thought, I, I didn't write anything in my sermon about this, but in the reading from <coughs> Second Timothy, it seems like a remarkable juxtaposition that here's Paul talking in a way that is reminiscent of the Pharisee and the gospel, you know. <laughs> I'm absolutely blameless here, and I've been treated lousy, and the people who didn't come to my defense, well, I hope that it's not held against them. <laughs> that sort of thing. It's, it's interesting, though, to remind ourselves, I've said this before, in uh, Paul believes himself to be blameless before God, and always has. He does not believe that if it was the great day of judgment, he would be found wanting. He's dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's according to the precepts, precepts that he was raised by as a, a law-abiding Jew. He is blameless. But his job is to say, how do people get in? And that everybody's in, and they're in because of their belief in Christ. Paul is in because of his belief in Christ, not because he's blameless and has followed all the rules. And that's true for Gentiles, and it's true for Jews. And that's, I, I think, at the, at the heart of his, of his message and his teaching and preaching. But I want to preach on the gospel for today about the tax collector and the Pharisee. And uh, what this has to do with is is uh, spiritual pride. Um, Nancy and I watched the movie on Channel 9 last night called Separate Tables, right? With David Niven and Wendy Hiller. And the interesting thing about it is that it's a perfect example of what the gospel talks about today because there's a, a woman in the, in the group of permanent residents in this hotel who is scandalized by the bad behavior of another of the permanent residents whose uh, behavior has now been revealed in the press. And so she is all worried about how it's going to reflect on her and on the permanent guests. And so she organizes a meeting with the permanent guests about what should they do about this. It's a bit more complicated than that, but it's, it's very interesting. And uh, boy, it isn't the first time any, uh, any of us have uh, seen examples of people who depute themselves uh, to be the upholders of the uh, banner of righteousness, right? And what do we mean when we talk about all that? And Jesus has some surprising answers to all of this kind of thing. The collect that we prayed today is uh, asking God to increase in us the gifts of faith, hope, and charity, or faith, hope, and love. <clears throat> in Christian theology, uh, we believe that faith, hope, and love are given to each person at their baptism as what is known as the infused virtues. So you have the cardinal virtues that are part of the great sweep of Western uh, philosophical ideas that we get from Aristotle, right? The virtues, the cardinal virtues. And then in, in, in Christian theology, we get the infused virtues, faith, hope, and love. 
So we pray that we are going to be able to increase in us these characteristics, these habits of being and relating that involve faith, hope, and love. So that should animate our understanding of this when we read the Gospels. <clears throat> the important thing about reading any Gospel is you have three or four questions that need be asked. One is, what did Jesus mean when he spoke it? What did the church who preserved the parable and wrote it down mean by it? And how do we understand it in our own time and does it have any utility for us at all? Because what we're reading today is a parable uh, about the, the, the uh, Pharisee and the tax collector that's written now 50 years after Christ's earthly ministry. And so Luke and uh, the other gospel writers, for that matter, are writing from their perspective. And one of their perspectives is that they don't like the Pharisees. The Pharisees have a very bad press in the gospel in the New Testament. It's not clear uh, to historians and biblical scholars that the Pharisees during the time of Jesus were particularly powerful or influential. They were around, and Jesus certainly had interaction with them, and both agreement and disagreement with them. But we don't know the degree to which they were prominent. We do know that they became more and more prominent, and it's the Pharisaic party in Judaism that permitted Judaism to continue as a religion after the temple was destroyed. We call it rabbinic Judaism is what we call Judaism now, is rabbinic Judaism without the temple. So they were the ones who were able to continue this. The Pharisees believed that uh, you had the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and then you had the, the tradition that grew up around that, the Midrash and the Mishnah, the Talmud, we call some of that now. They thought that was permissible as part of the great tradition, and it enabled then the interpretive processes of the rabbis to continue. The Sadducees, or uh, as one of my classmates at Neshota House when he was reading the lesson at Evensong pronounced the Sadducees. <laughs> Took ten minutes to calm down the chapel before we could continue. <laughs> Stephen Barnes went to Harvard. Think of it. And when he mispronounced it, he was standing at the lectern like this, and he went, oh, no. <laughs> Literally. So the dean, the dean went, <clears throat> <clears throat> and he corrected himself. So the Pharisees uh, are, are, are very influential, and they, they had a lot to do with, with things. So today... We have a story in Luke's gospel about a Pharisee who is standing in the temp near in the temple precincts and he's saying how happy he is that he's not like this tax collector. And then he rehearses for us all of the things that he does in the practice of his religious commitments, which uh, establishes his bona fides, I guess. Uh, in front of people. And the tax collector 
doesn't even raise his eyes and is in a very sort of humble and abject uh, disposition in his body language and just asks God to have mercy on him. You need to know about the tax collector. I've said something about the Pharisees. Tax collectors were, when have they ever been liked? <laughs> right? They were very disliked uh, in the ancient Near East in Palestine because they were Jews who collaborated with the Roman imperial system. And they were told by the Roman imperial system, this is the tax we wish to get from everyone. Let's say this percentage. Everybody pays this tax. If you collect more than the tax, you get to keep the difference. So when it says in the Gospels that he eats with sinners and tax collectors, that just was like... <clears throat> so I used to think about this, this parable when I'd read it, and I had a, a picture like in Christian art or some woodcut that you'd see in an illustrated Bible. And the Pharisee would be a kind of grand figure with striped stuff on, and he'd be standing there and saying, you know, how, how superior he is spiritually to this tax collector. And the tax collector would be kind of getting small inside his body and, you know, kind of uh, abject in his appearance. It would be absolutely the reverse. The tax collector would look like a Wall Street banker. Prosperous, confident, well-fed. And the Pharisee would look somewhat wasted by the austerities that he undertook for to the practice of his religion. Fasting, he said he observes all the days of fasting. Probably a look in his eyes of a little glint of zeal. You know, they're sort of, you meet people like this, don't you? It's kind of like, <laughs> you know that feeling? Somebody who has an agenda, a program, <laughs> and they're going to put that program on whether you like it or not. And that's what the Pharisees in some ways were like. And so the, Jesus then says, the tax collector is the guy who went down to his house justified. That's like, you know, Jesus saying the last will be first and the first will be last. Whoever exalts himself, he says, today will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, most of us don't like to admit this, and our, our theology and our understanding, what we attempt through preaching and teaching to say that... Um, you know, we don't need to do good things to be in God's good graces. There's nothing we can do ourselves to earn our salvation or um, being in God's favor. And yet all of us, if we do stay on the straight and narrow, we like to think that maybe something good will attach to it for us, right? And it's a particularly bitter pill to think that people who don't look like they are being very observant about anything and maybe just grossly irresponsible in every possible way in their life may get into the, may, may go ahead of us, get to come into the, the front of the line, right? 
I mean, that's what the parable unique to Luke's gospel of the prodigal son is all about. You know, the older son is mad as the dickens because his father has forgiven this wastrel. So this is about, of course, again, I preached about this recently, about humility and what it means. Humility is not a, the practice of low self-esteem. It is not sort of viewing Christianity as a process of groveling and uh, histrionic, uh, oh, I'm not worthy stuff, you know. There's a lot of people, by the way, who, who, who like that idea. It may, there are people, uh, a lot of us too, you know, we, we face adversity, we become depressed, we're upset, and then we get addicted to the feeling. We're used to it. And so what that means is, is that in some ways we, we uh, uh, just fall back into that. It's like marinating in, in your adversity, right? And we tend to do that. It's, it's safe. It's not comfortable, but it's safe. Thomas Aquinas said that humility is knowing yourself, which means, he said, knowing how high you can reach we have to interpret that these days very carefully because we live in the entrepreneurial society that believes all people should try to exceed their grasp. But that's what real enterprise is about. That's the mainspring of human progress, as my grandfather would say. So you should reach beyond. You should allow your acquisitiveness to extend beyond your grasp. But Aquinas doesn't mean that, of course. What he means is when you know yourself and you know your reach, then you can confidently rest in those things that you do well. And you can own them and be confident and sure. But it also requires both the knowledge and the expression of saying there are things I do not know and I happen to know people who do know about them and they can do them better than I can. That's why we all need one another, you know. It annoys me in, in uh, you know, church diocesan life and everything that I've been involved in for so long that you've got committee members who drive you nuts about making lists. The list maker, let's say. It's a category. It's a personality type. I can't stand it. And yet, I couldn't function without the list maker. And neither could any of us. Now, wait a minute. It said 35, you know. Okay. So, I want to know how much time are we going to spend on that? But we need to. And you need to own the fact that they, they, they're good at that. They know what they're doing and they need to do it because we need them. We need the detail person as well as the thinker about the big picture, you know. So this is about the idea of how you, you um, cultivate that sense of uh, humility and understanding one of the dangers of an overweening sense of self-righteousness is that you begin to think that you're the center of the universe and you don't have a part to play in God's plan. Or you may believe you have the absolutely central part to play in God's plan. You know, the Pharisee 
took him. So the Pharisees, I didn't mention this, the Pharisees as a party in Judaism believed that they should be in their being always prepared, ritually pure. So even outside, they would be able to just walk into the temple. You know, Jesus was an observant Jew. He was in a state of ritual purity when he was in there and overturned the tables, the thing that got him arrested. You had to be to be there. The Pharisees said, we're that way even if we're living in Nazareth. This is how we wish to behave and should. The Sadducees were people who said, we have a lock on the temple and how it works, and so we don't believe that uh, any of the traditions that have developed around the practice of Judaism beyond the Torah uh, are allowable. So we're not going to allow any interpretive processes to take place with regard to how we do this and how we practice our religion. But it's the Pharisees who enabled this to be the case, but they also were pretty rigorous about what it is that they needed to do. So it's easy after you do that for a while to... Uh, I, I, I tell you where I run into it these days, it seems like more than anything else, are people who are regular exercisers. Okay. Yeah. Because after a while, you feel much better. And the truth of it is that uh, you can begin to think, well, you know, we've got to get everybody squared away here in some way. This is the stewardship season, and so uh, this, par this uh, parable actually has something to do with understanding uh, how you exercise faith, hope, and love, how you exercise uh, the use of your uh, tr time, talent, and treasure. I thought I'd read this. Uh, Nancy's giving me a look because Nancy is exercising now, and I am not. <laughs> so she knows. Uh, <laughs> Uh, oh, wait a minute here. I wanted to do something, and it, I lost it. I thought I'd just read this at the end. It's, it's sort of related, but it's, it's important. Where is it here? In the outline of the faith, what is the duty of all Christians? That's the catechism. What is the duty of all Christians? The duty of all Christians is to follow Christ, to come together week by week for corporate worship, and to work, pray, and give for the spread of the kingdom of God. The Pharisee was doing no more than the ordinary uh, good work of any faithful person. And the tax collector was somebody who began to realize that with all his prosperity, he needed to sort of change direction. And readings like this remind all of us that it's never too late to change direction when we need to. Amen.